Hey there, this is Nara Montero, one of the hosts of Iconicast. Welcome to our very first season. We're excited to announce the fall 2019 theme, Uprooted, and we have our wonderful directors here to get your creative juices flowing. Hi, my name's Aisha, and I'm also one of the hosts for Iconicast, so I hope you guys are excited for this. Hi, my name is Jerica. I'm one of the directors of Iconoclast, and I'm a third-year student studying Spanish and English with a minor in transitional justice and post-conflict reconstruction. Hi, my name is Veronica. I'm also in third year. I'm studying MIT, and I'm also in SASA, hopefully getting a minor in French studies. Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm in second year. I'm majoring in art history and museum studies, and I'm also in SASA. So just in case we have any listeners that are joining us for the first time, can you tell us a little bit about Iconoclast? So Iconoclast is an arts and culture publication on campus. We are funded by both the Arts and Humanities Students Council and the School of Advanced Studies for Arts and Humanities. We're basically just your go-to publication on campus for interdisciplinary conversation about some of the most relevant topics to all, for all of us, just in general as students and also just humans on this earth, which is going to be particularly important for this um, theme. So anything from creative writing to journalism to paintings to music to anything, we can put it all either on our website or our publication. We have launch parties per semester, and it's basically we're just a hub for creatives, particularly within Western, to just get together and have a conversation about things that are important to all of us. What exactly is Uprooted? And if you guys could give us a little brief introduction to that. So we sort of came up with Uprooted because we wanted to deal something with the environment. Um, I think that's a very relevant conversation, especially this summer. Um, there's been tons and tons of headers about crazy natural disasters and all that other stuff. And we just thought it's something that everybody talks so much about, but how could we get it into a creative sphere and not just make it fear and facts? So we tried our best to sort of bring in the idea of nature and how we can connect to nature in such a, a constructed environment, really. Like, we all go to school on a campus that's built. How do you connect with the natural environment in a situation like that? So we sort of wanted to talk and create a conversation about how we deal personally with our personal environments as well as the environments that surround us and we create and how you can create an environment for yourself that's comfortable and sort of feels right for you. I also want to bring up how we chose the title Uprooted to begin with. There's kind of two aspects to the title that touch upon the two aspects of the theme as a whole. So one uprooted is in literally the uprooting of trees. So basically how our relationship with nature has been progressing over time, how the earth has been both devastated and just generally changed by humanity's impact. And the other side of it is uprooting our fundamental beliefs about nature. So taking a look at our relationship with nature, with each other, um, and kind of just putting them over their heads and seeing other ways to perceive that relationship. Um, so it's really just a matter of like reflecting in both of these things and basically starting back from ground zero um, and building up those beliefs again and self-checking how we've been perceiving all of these things and if we need to change how we see things. I sort of think that there's a big fear culture around the environment and also a stereotype that only a certain kind of people care about the environment. And I think what's important for us is to sort of change that perspective and bring it more into a wider range about not just sustainability, but also nature is something that you view as more than that. It's more about like personal experience as well and not just 
wider global experience. An inspirational moment I had was leaving my second year MIT class. The course is called The Meaning of Technology, but it was like very, very negative and it made me feel terrible every single Tuesday for the rest of the day. And I couldn't go on my phone. I like couldn't see a concrete building. Um, and I sort of had a really terrible feeling about it, which is actually when I heard about the ICON directorship and I was like, this is totally where I want to channel my challenges with this course. Um, and one of the main things he said, my professor said, was that with technology becoming so prevalent in our day to day, it sort of makes us move faster. And so with Amazon Prime sort of thing and instant messaging and emails, things don't wait until the next morning, they happen now. And so that sort of makes everything else in the world have to happen like that. And there's no downtime and there's no time to just like enjoy the moment or in this case, enjoy nature. With this like hyper movement that we're now living in, we see nature and we see humans just to be productive and just to go faster and move faster and get things done quicker. So one big sentence he was saying was, do you see a mountain for a mountain or do you see it for a coal mine? Or do you see a human for a human or an assembly line? That sort of made me feel really terrible. It's like totally utilitarian way of using nature and using each other. And I just, he made such a good point that that's how we use humans too. Like humans for an assembly line, everything is just to be used up until it's completely gone. And then what? And then what? Nothing. And then and then he ended class. And so this is why um, I want to know how other people feel about this sort of issue. I think for this issue in particular, compared to even other icon publications, we wanted to act as really an outlet for students because like Ronnie and her MIT class, me in general, from seeing all of the like relentless news and headers and everything throughout the summer, just about all the things, all the awful things that are happening in nature. We kind of just are being given all of this information about how our planet is doing and the impact our technological advancement is having on the planet in general. It's just, we have all of this information and almost all this guilt about what's happening and also this feeling of defeat about not being able to do anything about it. And we kind of just want people to really tackle it, even if it's not in kind of a straightforward activist way, but some way to kind of deal with this information and process all of our feelings and thoughts about it and put it in this publication where we kind of can hopefully take inspiration from each other about what this experience is like and what we can do about it. Catherine, you mentioned how, you know, it's about seeing it from maybe having a personal connection because again, like looking at the big picture is, I mean, I don't know if you actually can because it's so like overwhelming. Do you feel like you have a personal connection with the natural world? If so, where does that come from? Is it like childhood memories, experiences outdoors, uh, or is it more so like newfound awareness? Um, I honestly think it's a bit of both. So I grew up in the GTA and it's a very constructed neighborhood and I always understood that from a very young age. Um, it's an area that's so far from natural like the way that it's planned and the streets are laid out, like it's got all the nice greenery and all that other stuff, but it's nothing like what the real nature would look like if it was left to be. And like, I went camping a lot when I was younger, but even still, I understood that that wasn't even a natural habitat. It's still constructed. It's still touched by man and that kind of stuff. So I always sort of, like in recent years, I became more aware, have I ever been anywhere that's truly natural? Have I ever been anywhere that's been untouched? And I don't think I have. Um, so in recent years, I've sort of been more aware about the fact that I'm interested in 
creating those sort of natural environments and making sure that we have areas that are untouched. Because I think that's truly important within such a built society, especially within North America. I think it's difficult growing up in a place where there's nothing that's truly natural. It's interesting how before I even knew about this theme, I was kind of thinking along those lines as well. I went backcountry camping this summer for the first time. And even that, you know, there were wooden platforms and like signage and the built outhouse. So you don't, you still, you know, get there on a prescribed path and stay on a prescribed spot. Um, And I think you're right. I haven't been in a truly natural place and it makes it really difficult for me to sometimes understand the conversations that are going on when we talk about how globalization and our every single movement basically is influenced by the way that we've changed the natural world because I can't actually imagine a natural world quite thoroughly enough because I've never been in one. I think that's actually a key aspect of this whole idea of like true nature because like the fact of the matter is and this is why it's sometimes so hard for us to really discuss this is that we always think of humanity as separate from nature so I'm not even sure if it's a matter of like us touching nature but just the extent to which we try to control and organize it so in all like in urbanized cities and campgrounds that have those like steps and everything and all that kind of organized prescribed paths it's we, when we try to organize how we interact with nature, we are still part of the natural world. Us yeah. being a part of it and touching it and being seen in it is normal. It's the same way that other animals have traces of their impact on the environment, but it's just to the extent to which we try to control it. So like one of the best things that I remember about really interacting with true nature was when I went camping in high school and there was no actual laid out campground. There was not even the prescribed path to go to. We had to kayak there and it was against this like really strong waves. We were stuck in the water for basically a good chunk of the afternoon just because we couldn't keep moving. And it was just a matter of kind of flowing with what nature gave us. Um, and that was one of the best things is that sort of like harmony where we're not trying to dominate nature, but we're trying to go with it, which is just not present in the GTA, as Catherine mentioned, or in those very organized campgrounds, as Nara mentioned. So I guess one of the questions we're we're interested in seeing our readers and contributors respond to is, when did we depart from, you know, being well integrated with nature, even though we did affect it, versus like now how we seem to try to dominate it, and it's becoming destructive? Where does that happen? And how do we look at a vision of the future where we maybe return to being better integrated. When did it sort of all start? I mean, in my opinion, I feel like the early 1800s, like 1850s, that's where the Industrial Revolution began. And I feel like that's when we started, man started exerting its like dominance. My professor, Warren Steele, he did a reading um, from a philosopher, Martin Heidegger, and he believes that the moment that we lost touch with nature was when man first stepped on the moon. And I absolutely love this article and the way he explained it. I think it's so fascinating. So he was saying that with technology, which is the technology to get us to the moon with rockets and everything, we now had the ability to leave the earth. So even in that, we sort of became like gods controlling the universe and not only like our planet, but we had control over other planets. That's where he thinks that uh, we all went wrong. Even going back to just kind of like the root of that, touching upon like even before that process, like the whole 
aspect of colonialism. I read a book in, in actually my first year. It's called The Bend in the River vs. Nepal. And my professor had brought up this interesting idea of when colonizers came to the land. And once again, like I don't, I'm not indigenous myself, so I can't speak to what that culture is really like. But this is how we had this discussion in class and how the book portrayed it was that there were indigenous communities living on this land and there were white settlers that came in and they believed the land to be uninhabited because there was not an actual like organizing or reworking of the land. For example, there were no white fences. The land was not plowed. There were no um, structures. structures. There were no like established structures on the land. And that was sort of just like this whole idea that you had to change the land to own it, that the land could be owned by humanity in general. Um, and that I feel like starts, I feel like that is the root of what you were saying as well, that like this pattern that we have of trying to own things and then move on. We tried to own the land here and now we're trying to own other planets and just leave it when we can. That kind of idea of territory and power. On this topic, what are some of the other influences and inspirations you guys had for the theme? A big one for me was a commercial that another professor showed us during our MIT class. One for Siri, probably when the iPhones just came out. Um, and a man is walking up to the Grand Canyon, and he looks at it, and he just sort of in awe, but then the moment of awe shuts down very, very fast. And then the second time, he goes up and he pulls out Siri, and he says, hey, Siri, and it goes, ding. Uh, and he says, how big, or how long, or how deep is the Grand Canyon? And Siri answers. Grand Canyon has an area of 4,933 square kilometers. And then from there, he put his phone down, and just like, then he felt the moment of surrealism and I just sort of made me think do we really can we really not appreciate nature unless it's put through something technology based yeah. yeah and I noticed that a lot too like whenever I'm going hiking with some of my friends or camping instead of just looking or listening they like take out their phone and take a snapchat but like a minute snapchat I'm like I don't understand you can't even when you look at the phone it's so small and it doesn't even capture everything you're looking at is that what we've come to, that you can't even do anything? Are we so removed from nature that you have to pull out your phone in order to understand it sort of thing? And that's a tricky thing too, isn't it? Because there are certain aspects where like how far we've come with technology and science and like our understanding of the world definitely I think has helped us realize the true magnitude and like beauty of nature. But it also, once again, like as you said, it also distances us. Experiencing the natural world for people who live in cities is now almost itself a commodity and a privilege mm -hmm. um, because you have to be able to travel to get there mm -hmm. and take time off and all that stuff. So it's it's become its own kind of object of consumerism yeah. <laughs> somehow yeah I completely agree there's like all of the popular nature retreats that you see these days and like people like going on places where there's like no cell phone connection but it's so sad that we have to do that to just sort of escape the areas that we've built yeah. it's an industry it's a it's you have to go on vacation and not everyone can afford to go on vacation. And even I think the bits of nature that we are exposed to here, like as I was walking to this interview room, going through Western's campus, I was thinking how nature around me is literally like an Instagram page. Like it is very like constructed and polished. All the trees are nicely planted with like a specific set distance between each tree and like no one, like not too many branches. Any fallen leaves are usually swept up. Like it is literally in the same way that we construct our Instagram profiles to show the best of us. That's what we do with nature in our cities to just show the best parts of nature, not the wildness that it has when you go out elsewhere which you only do when you're on vacation even then it's quite polished up even the idea and concept of like greenhouses I like all of last year I wanted to go to the one on 
campus. And I finally went last week and I was like, wow, like it's this tiny boxed up space in the corner of campus. And like, it's a very beautiful place, but it's like once upon a time that would have been everywhere Mm -hmm. else. And then there might've been like one building. This Mm -hmm. is actually what I'm most excited about for this publication, seeing the visuals. Like I was, I was really, really pushing for a publication of an environment for this particular issue um, just because I wanted to see the kind of vibrant color scheme that we could have with this, like all of the green, greens and purples and reds, just like all of those kind of like bright colors that you would see in nature. Um, I just wanted to put that on our publications page and see that come to life, um, even just with the way that our contributors will put it into visual into a visual medium. What are some of your visual prompts for this issue? Um, so, <laughs> art history time. Um, <clears throat> The idea of the sublime within painting is something that I really pulled from. Uh, So basically the sort of fear and awe that is invoked by nature and the idea of not understanding something but still being able to appreciate its beauty. So J.M.W. Turner. So one of his works that I particularly liked for this theme is the burning of the House of Lords and Commons. So he's also known as the Fire King. So he paints a lot of pictures of fire and sort of how fire can overcome the built landscape. It's a natural force that is more powerful than our human forces. And I really like the way that he depicts it. Um, He sort of does it in a way that looks somehow soft. So one of the visual prompts we have is focusing on the juxtaposition between nature and human life. Um, and this stems from a movie that was another one of our influencers. It's called Koyana Scotsi. Um, and it's a two-hour film that is just orchestrated by Philip Glass and there's no speaking, there's no characters, and it's pretty much uh, just slow motion of catastrophe. There's a building and it's falling in slow motion and it's sort of overwhelming. But then as the camera zooms out, you sort of see the concrete falling looks like snow and it suddenly becomes very calming and almost like beautiful which is sort of terrifying um he has another really powerful scene that actually is featured on our mood board where there's a sunset but once he starts to zoom out you see that it was a sunset but reflected off the side of a building so once again humans don't really understand what true what the true beauty of nature is unless it's it's like put into the context of humanity. Um, another person who does the sublime quite well, in my opinion, would be um, Edward Brutinsky with his Anthropocene works. Um, sort of the images of destruction that are so disturbing yet gorgeous. He takes photographs that are hyper-realistic and highlight the brightness and vibrancy of <laughs> the destruction of nature, truly. And he shows human waste and human impact on the natural landscape. And I just love that the way he makes it look like something that's so nice, even though we can fully recognize that it isn't. Um, When I learned about Edward Bertinsky, I remember, uh, I think it was a professor saying that you can find his work hanging in the offices of like huge oil companies and also in the offices of like environmental agencies Yeah, um, because it is so complicated. I think... He's such an important figure and will be such an important figure. It's hyper real, but at the same time, you recognize that it is something that exists within our planet. But it's stuff that you wouldn't see, especially in North America, because so much of it is happening in countries that aren't our own, which is really upsetting because it's showing that countries that have the monetary means to cause this destruction are causing it 
in countries that do not have the monetary means to oppose. But I think it brings a lot of environmental awareness and a lot of social awareness. And I don't know, like, I feel like it's kind of bad that it's so glamorized within his art. But at the same time, it is bringing that sort of awareness that is important and necessary, really, within our society. With the way that nature is progressing and basically how the earth is slowly rotting away from our impact, there is this lack of full understanding of what is actually happening with our planet. In one of my courses last year, we dealt with the topic of the Anthropocene and particularly the idea of a hyper object, which is essentially just anything that is too large for you to fully comprehend. You always have to look at it from particular sides, but you can never really see the full image. And that's sort of what it feels like with climate change, that it's such a big idea to think that our planet is dying, that we never really fully understand the impacts of that on our lives, on the generations that follow after us. And we know we expect this publication to fully capture that either, but this is just to also get that conversation going to realize that this is a really big issue and there are a lot of aspects to it that each of our contributors will be tackling. Um, and this is just the beginning to fully seeing the situation and hopefully doing something about it. The last sort of visual prompt that I did pick is actually um, drawing on older Dutch art, the Garden of Earthly Delights. <laughs> um, that's what the painting's called. It's a three-section painting. It's got this idyllic scene before man comes. The center is absolute chaos of when man is on the planet, all this destruction happening. And then it shows afterwards, like, the impact of these things and it shows the destruction and death and it basically shows sort of a transition scene between before man during man and after man i sort of took it as the destruction of the planet and sort of natural life cycles and then also dutch vanitas painting so images of life and death on one table skulls next to living things such as fruit or flowers like burning out candles that kind of stuff during the baroque period there's a lot of ideas of drama and life and death and the fragility of life and i feel like that's something that we've almost forgotten and there's sort of the idea that we're going to be eternal whether it's through social media like there's always going to be some kind of remnants of us even when we die and i don't think that was always true it's really hard to imagine a world where you aren't remembered when we know about dinosaurs like who could have thought at that time period that somebody so many thousands of years later would have been able to reconstruct them digitally and know that they were here right like we it's hard i think to imagine for for us uh, the possibility of a future where we aren't remembered because we know so much of the past mm -hmm. while there will be remnants of us one day it won't be us as individuals it will be us as a collective and mm -hmm. i think a lot of us forget that i think this general outlook is also just prevalent in how we talk about climate change in general we're always like our planet is dying like think of our future kids but like the truth is it's going to start again the same way that it started again after an asteroid hit us humanity might be extinct but the earth will continue whether it be completely other species that inhabit it or whatever but this planet is going to stay here even if we're not on it humans and the ecosystems that we know are what is at stake not the future of life on earth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is also a scary thought in itself. Yeah. It really puts you into perspective how insignificant we, we are, are in the greater yeah. picture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe we do have to look at it from that way yeah. to really feel the urgency to p put ourselves tied to the planet and make mm -hmm. us feel like this is a really, really big issue. But really, it's our issue. It's not the Earth's issue. It's going to be here. Yeah. 
Yeah, so whether you are really positive about this whole outlook or you're, you know, you know that the, the planet's on fire, we want to hear from you about this topic. Um, and you can find all of this information and more at our website, iconoclastuwo.com. And on all of our social media, iconoclastuwo is our handle everywhere. That's where you can find submissions information as well. Uh, this conversation is far from over and we need your input. All right. So we were wondering from the directors, could you tell us a little bit more about what you're looking from the contributors? How can they contribute to this? <laughs> <laughs> How can they con- further contribute to, to this conversation? Because as Nara said, this is far from over. This is just the beginning. In terms of medium, we accept virtually every medium that you can think of. So our print publication is obviously limited in what we can put on it. it tends to be any sort of writing, really. We accept creative writing of various kinds and also just like political writing if you want to write an article about something. Um, we also accept various forms of visual arts, so paintings, photography. Um, if you submit one of those, you have a chance to be featured as our cover, which is really cool. Um, but if you're interested in other mediums such as a song or spoken word poetry or video, we do have space on our website for art created by Western students, so we would be happy to feature those as well and even discuss possibilities of performing those at our launch parties. But on a grander scale, what we're looking for um, from our contributors, go outside, experience nature, look at your relationship with it again, and then when you're done, come back in and send us something. We'd love to hear how that experience was for you. This was the first episode of Season 1 of Iconocast, the companion podcast to Iconoclast Collective. Thank you very much to our directors, Jerrica, Catherine, and Veronica for coming in to speak with us. I encourage you to send us your work. The deadline for uprooted submissions is October 18th. This podcast is produced by Iconoclast Collective, co-hosted and edited by Nara Montero and Aisha Khan. We are very grateful for the generous support of Radio Western in this endeavor. This is Aisha Khan, and on behalf of the Icon team, thank you for listening.